is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, the 16th day of November. We are more than halfway through the month. Thanksgiving is next week. Christmas is just over a month away. Time is flying. The year is coming to a close very rapidly. I always uh, think back to those radio broadcasts the week. Usually they were done either on New Year's Eve or sometime in the week between Christmas and, and New Year's where they played all the, you know, the big countdown of the top 100 songs of the year and all of that. I remember listening to those. Oh, haven't done that in a while, but uh, it was just, you know, the, the, the end of the year is rapidly approaching and uh, we got a presidential election coming up next year. We got all sorts of stuff going on. Um, now, my understanding is that there, it isn't actually a Chinese curse. It's made up, but there's the the purported Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times. And we do live in interesting times. We've got the events going on in the Middle East. We've got the events going on in Eastern Europe with the, the war in Ukraine. And just, you know, there's there's this is a this is an unsettled time. This is a a a, a time uh, when when if we just look at the world around us, we could become very preoccupied and very worried with the events that are going on on our planet. But we have a sovereign God, and we have no need to be in despair because our God reigns, and there is nothing you know, happening on the earth today outside of the decree of God for his purposes, for his glory, and for the good of his people. Even though we may not be able to see it at this point, we can trust in the Lord our God who rules and reigns over all the earth. So don't be in despair. When you look at world events, understand that they are perfectly within God's control and that he has a purpose in everything that is taking and trust in him because his purposes are good. His purposes are holy, even as he uses the actions of sinful men around the world. All right. It is Thursday, the 16th day of November, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You're certain to find something worth listening to. All right. Um, just something happened yesterday with the live webcast. It looked like it stopped about 20 minutes in. Um, so for the if you're a webcast watcher and you, you missed the end of yesterday's show, I would encourage you to, to go to wherever you get your audio podcasts. Uh, 
it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts or, or Google, um, Spotify, TuneIn. We're we're out there on all of them. Go ahead and and download the audio. Excuse me, if you want to listen to the end of yesterday's show. If you don't want to listen to the end of yesterday's show, well, fine, be that way. But if you if you missed the end of the show because the video stream stopped, and I don't know why, um, I didn't notice it until I went later in the day, and uh, it was like, oh, only like 20 minutes of the webcast went out. So don't know what that was, but that was something. Everything apparently, according to the board in front of me, is working fine today, and hopefully that continues when I'm doing the podcast, I'm, I'm trying not to actually watch the board in front of me. I'm trying to do the podcast, and I am a one-man show here. Um, Fiona the Mouse is off to my left, uh, comfortably ensconced in a pile of tissues in the back right corner of her, of her uh, abode there behind the microphone. But she's not a real good engineer, so I don't allow her to run things. Um, I think she's asleep. So we just deal with that. Um, you know, I didn't mention it during the uh, during the time when the show was on hiatus because of our computer issues. Um, Darby the hamster, the fifth of her name, uh, went to her eternal reward. Um, and so currently, off to my right, the the hamster abode is empty. We have not done uh, we we have not taken applications for Darby the hamster, the sixth of her name. Um, we will be doing that soon, um, but we, we 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 wanted to wait a little bit, um, mainly because my office has been torn up, um, and it still is quite the mess. I'm not done in here yet. I've got stuff yet to do, but this isn't a good week. <laughs> so not much of that stuff is getting done. And obviously, we're still having the webcast ghosting situation, the webcam uh the 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 bad motion blur and and kind of stutter and stuff and I've been playing with settings and trying to get it to work. Um, I have not heard back from the Lumina people yet. Um, if I haven't heard back from them by middle of the day tomorrow, I'll be firing off another email. Um, I've been using that Lumina webcam since it came out. I I, I got it on you know when it was a Kickstarter and. Uh, because it, it just seemed really impressive. And then, you know, I've used it for a couple of years. And it's been a phenomenal camera. Um, but for some reason, the software is not running on the new computer. And it's not like it's an unusual computer. <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, uh, Intel chip and, and, and running Windows 11. And, and, you know, got lots of RAM. It's a, you know, it's a fast computer. But it's not. There's nothing goofy, you know, but for some reason the software doesn't want it, it. It starts to boot and then it crashes, and so I am not able to use my Lumina webcam. And this uh, Logitech webcam just has this ghosting issue, which is apparently well known because when I started Googling it, I was finding lots of articles on ways to try to to get rid of this blurry, stuttery picture. Because um, quality's good. I mean, it's a really clear camera, but it it doesn't seem to want to uh, deal with this. And uh, so, if I kept using this camera, the next step would be to uh, 
<clears throat> roll back the software on it, because apparently earlier versions of the, the webcam software didn't have this problem. Um, and, and Logitech needs to fix this, because this is horrible. That's just, that's just awful. So um, we will see how that goes. Um, and, and so that's, there's an ongoing saga of the webcam and everything. So hopefully I can get that fixed. I'm hoping that, that Lumina gets back to me and we figure out what's wrong and and it, it, it'll finally work. But like I said, I haven't heard back from them in a week. So they may have given up. And if they've given up, I will have to search out another webcam. Um, and I could, I mean, you know, I suppose I can go the route where you get a, you know, high-end HD camera and, and you know, I mean, I don't know the, I can't afford the kind of thousand dollar cameras that James White uses. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have to see. Um, so if you would like to donate a high-end webcam to, uh, you know, high-end video camera that I can use as a webcam, <laughs> just write me at BR49. What? Yeah. Um, yeah the, well, the email is squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. So if you want to send me an email and tell me you want to donate a camera, I'll let you. Um uh, enough of that. All right. Had a had a great time at uh, with the youth group last night. We met an hour early. Um, we, we met uh, at five o'clock instead of six last night, and we spent the first hour um, putting all the stuff we've collected for Operation Christmas Child into the boxes. And uh, we filled fifty-five boxes last night, and those will be shipped out, I believe, Monday to uh, Samaritan's Purse. And uh, from there, distributed to children around the world. And uh, I'm personally responsible for filling four of those. Um, just had a had a great time. Had a lot of laughter and fun. And 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 uh, but it was the the we had everything was spread out. The the pastor's wife and the the uh, the member of the church who has been spearheading the Operation Christmas Child. They had everything set up on tables. So we had a table of clothing. We had a table of toys. We had a table of hygiene items and everything. And so you you would pick a, a sex and an age group, and then you would walk around and select the the items for that, you know, for a boy or a girl or, or whatever, and older or younger, et cetera. And you would go around and pick those up, put them in the pack your box, and... Uh, Put a rubber band about it and set it on, and it would go on the stack, and you'd go around and do another one. And uh, we, as so we filled up 55 boxes. So, impressive night, and and we pray that uh, God will use that. Um, and I I don't want to hear, you know, if you are not a fan of Franklin Lamb and Samaritan's Purse and Project, you know, Christmas Child, tough. It's uh, I I always think of uh, Dale Moody's line when. Somebody went to him and said, you know, Mr. Moody, I do not like the way you do evangelism. And he says, well, I think it could be improved as well. How do you do it? And the person finally admitted that they don't evangelize. And he says, well, I, w I must admit, I like the way I do it much better than the way you don't do it. So sh is Samaritan Purse and their evangelistic efforts perfect? No. Do they share the true gospel? I think they do. Um, so that's that's where that is. Um, and so I'll just put that out there. You know, I mean, we're, we're sending stuff to, to kids in third world countries. And in that box, you know, there's, 
gospel literature and the opportunity to, you know, I think uh, Samaritan's Purse has an opportunity it's like a six or eight week Bible study that the kids can opt into. It's not forced or anything like that. So, you know, we, we, we pray that God's word will not return void, which is what he has promised. What do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Thursday. So we've got Theology Thursday. We're looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 18 of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation. And today we're going to be looking at Paragraph 1. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent. According to your promises, excuse me, declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, and now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. <laughs> Today's devotional is entitled, Meaningless Repetition, False Prayer Content. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Matthew 6, 7. Dr. MacArthur writes, if we're honest, all of us have been guilty of repetitive prayers, before meals, at prayer meetings, before bed, with little or no thought to what we are saying, or how God feels when he hears us do that. But such prayers are offensive to God and should be to us as well. We should understand, however, that Jesus here is not forbidding the repetition of genuine requests. In his parable of the midnight visit, Jesus pointed to the persistent man as a model of the believer's persistent prayer to God. In another parable, the Lord praised the godly widow's persistence before the ungodly judge. Will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Luke 18.7 Paul asked God three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12.7-8 Jesus himself could be persistent in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Matthew twenty six thirty nine. Christ prayed this prayer a second time, and again he prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Verse 44. Sincere, honest repetition of needs and praises before God is not wrong or ineffective. It is the mindless, indifferent repeating of tired, cliché-filled prayers that is not pleasing to him. God wants our hearts and our minds properly engaged when we approach his throne. Ask yourself, what would enliven your set times of prayer, transforming them into fresh, 
expressive, genuine moments with God. Even if the same words and requests are made, what could you do to make them real and in the moment? All right. That's a a good word on prayer um, because we do need to be thoughtful. And, and, you know, we we do, and and, and here on Squirrel Chatter, we we repeat prayers that have been written beforehand. Um, That is not a bad thing. You know, a lot of people recite the Lord's Prayer. Not a bad thing. Actually, the disciples' prayer was the Lord teaching us how to pray. So it was an instruction to the disciples. We, you know, reading a prayer that has been pre-written is not vain repetition. Vain repetition is like saying the rosary. Or, or when you, when a Roman Catholic receives penance from the priest in the confessional, and he says, go say, 25 Our Fathers and 400 Hail Marys, that they would just repeat over and over this litany of prayer without thought, without, you know, and and just think that the fact that you said 42 Hail Marys is more effective than saying 41 or 1. Now, although, let's be honest, praying to Mary is neither scriptural nor effective. Um, But just repeating prayers like that, you know, is not... That's the vain repetition, and that's the sort of thing that the pagans do. And we, we see that in Elijah's encounter with the prophets of Baal on the Mount on Mount Carmel when, you know, they're, they're praying all day to Baal to take their sacrifice, and they're slashing themselves and all of that. And it, it's like, you know, I, I love Elijah's mockery, you know. Speak louder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's gone on a trip. Oh, uh, funny stuff. Don't ever think God doesn't have a sense. All right. It is Thursday, so it is Theology Thursday, and we are looking at Chapter 18 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. And this is a chapter entitled of the Assurance of Grace and Salvation, and it has four paragraphs. We're going to look at the first one today. Now, the assurance of faith is one of those subjects that we need to understand. And there have generally been two erroneous approaches to this. The first erroneous approach is the easy believism route, where they say, if you ever doubt your salvation, just look to the fact that, you know, you walked the aisle and said a prayer when you were seven. Don't you remember when your Sunday school teacher led you through that prayer? Don't you remember when your camp counselor led you through that prayer? And that's usually given in response to someone who has genuine doubts about their salvation because they're living in unrepentant sin. Um, And I've talked to parents who are absolutely convinced that their little hellious rebel who is, you know, living like the world, well, they're saved because when they were nine, you know, No. Now, is it possible that they're saved and that God's going to yank them back? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think that was my own story. I was, you know, very rebellious in, you know, from 15 to 25. And, you know, when I look back on it now, do I think I was genuinely saved before that? And I do. So I think, you know, and I, I look at that time in my life. And as I said yesterday, I look at it with with many regrets. But at the same time, I see the hand of God keeping me out of some stuff that I was really close to. And I'll just leave criminals. 
and keeping me out of, you know, things could have been much worse. And in the time since I came back and have been walking with the Lord, God has used those experiences in my life to help people struggling with the same stuff. You know, it's real easy to be judgmental about people who fall into sins you don't struggle with. There's no compassion in that. But when it's something you've been through, it's something you've experienced, it's something you understand, you can be compassionate in helping somebody else deal with that sin. So God uses the sins of our past to help us help others come out of similar sin. So, no, you know, so on the one sense, regret sinning against God. But on the other sense, you know, accept the fact that God had a purpose in it and and use that. So but the the so the one hand is, you know, this easy believism that, you know, you said a prayer, you walked an aisle, doesn't matter how you live, you know, you you're you're saved. It's always on once saved, always saved. Well, once saved, always saved is true. One God loses none. You know, Jesus loses none of those the Father gives him. So once saved, always saved is is absolutely true. The question is, were they saved? <laughs> And so there's a there's a a road to false assurance that leads through this easy believism. The other end of the spectrum is you'll know when you die. It's impossible to know you're 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 saved. It, it, you, you you can't possibly know. You just have to hope, and and you do the best you can, live the best life you can, and hope you make it. Neither of these is the way God intended us to. Sorry, I'm, if you're hearing that rumble, I'm rubbing my desk. I'll move my feet. Oh, that's what, a kick panel on the backside. No, I'll get my feet out of the way so that doesn't happen. I've actually got a little footstool under my desk, and I put my foot up on the footstool, and I was bumping against the the knee plate on the far end with my toes, and it was making squeaking sounds. I'm not sure if the microphone picked that up or not, but if it did, I apologize. So neither of these approaches to the assurance of salvation is truly scriptural. So let's see what the 1689 says. Paragraph one is what we're going to look at today. It reads, although temporary believers and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, excuse me, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So it starts out by talking about temporary believers and other unregenerate men. When we look at Jesus's parable of the sowers, which is, is I, I, we call it the parable of the sower, but it's really the parable of the soils. It's the, the, the emphasis in the parable is the different types of soils. The seed is the same. The seed is the gospel. The sower is the same. It's a person who goes out proclaiming the gospel. The difference is the different type of soil. Now, the soil is, of course, different types of people. And there are the, those who, at the very beginning, you know, receive it with joy. They, they, they seem to become believers, but they fall away. They were never truly believers. There are others that 
you know, just reject and reject and reject and never even entertain the gospel. And then there are those who bear fruit. And it's the, as, as John MacArthur put it uh, so succinctly, it's fruit, not foliage, that is evidence of salvation. So don't look at the bushy plant. Is the plant bearing fruit? And that's the the important thing. So we have temporary believers who, you know, seem to believe for a while and fall away. Um, you have pretend believers who, for whatever reason, claim to be Christian when in their heart they're not. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, that seems to be less and less of a uh, issue these days because it's no longer socially advantageous in American society to be a Christian. In my youth, which was longer ago than I like to think, <laughs> um, it was an advantage in many cases to be thought a Christian. And I know of people who were in business of this this sort or that who were part of a church because that was good for their business, you know, and so that was, you know, a, a, not a genuine motive for being part of a local body of Jesus Christ. They were not Christians. Now, some of them do this knowingly, you know, I don't believe, but I'm using religion for my advantage. Others do it unknowing. It says they, they vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and in a state of salvation. They're not, you know, it's, it's, they're deceiving themselves. Remember, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And one of his biggest lies is, you're, you're okay with God. You don't need to worry about that. And that's a frightening thing. So that is a something to consider. And then it says, the hope of theirs shall perish. This is not a genuine hope. This is not a hope that is going to last. Um, Think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, on that day, the day of judgment, the day of his return, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus said, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's, that's pretty serious stuff. These are people who have deceived themselves into thinking they're Christians when they're not. They believed a false gospel. They, they're, you know, they haven't believed the true gospel. The gospel, the false gospel and a false Jesus that they believe can't save them. So, you know, I think about so many of the, the televangelists and, like I mentioned before, Costi Hinn is a friend of mine. Um, and I mean, it's not like we talk on the phone every day, but, you know, I do have his number. <laughs> um, and, of course, he grew up in Benny Hinn's ministry and was involved in Benny Hinn's ministry before God saved him. And I've talked to him a couple of times about, okay, do these people know what they're doing? And Because he knows a lot of those people because through his uncle. Um, obviously, he doesn't hang out with them now, but just from his past experience, I said, do, do they know they're being deceiving? You know, are they deceived or are they just deceivers? He said, Some of them, he said, absolutely, they know they're lying through their teeth. They are out there just using their religious games to make money, and they make a lot of money. And says, you know, so some of them, yeah, they know it. He says, others, 
they think they're doing the Lord's work. They genuinely think they're doing the Lord's work. And he says when he was unsaved working for his uncle, he thought he was a Christian. He really believed it. So there's a there's this deception of false hope and carnal presumption. You know, he really believed that the wealth that his family enjoyed was a sign of God's blessing. He believed that, you know, because he was the, as he he's he said this before, so I'm not giving out any secrets. He was the member of his uncle's entourage who, you know, was tasked with taking the company credit card to the front desk and settling up hotel bills and restaurant bills and stuff like that. He was kind of like, you know, as an assistant who paid the bills for his uncle. And so, you know, he knows that they were staying in $10,000 a night suites in five-star hotels. He knows what the dinner at the fancy restaurant costs. He knows what the fuel costs were for the private jet. So, you know, there's he has that insight. He, he saw all that as signs of God blessing, you know, because look at what God has, has done for us. We must be doing the Lord's work. So you can see how that's deceiving, and and in that, you know, it, it can it can really. I, I was talking to a guy, local guy, friend of mine, great guy, um, and he made a comment. This was years ago, gosh, two decades ago. Now that I think about it, um, but he made a comment that you know, and, and he's speaking specifically of Benny Hinn. He says, "Well, you know, God's got to be blessing it because look at the size of His crowd." And I thought, huh. That means that NFL football is a huge blessing because look at the size of the crowd. It's, that just doesn't work. But it's a it's a deceptive thing to think that those huge crowds and all the money is a sign of God's blessing. It's not. Um, it is a vain hope. It is a carnal presumption. Um, so they, they carnally presume that they are in the favor of God and that they are in a state of salvation. But that hope of theirs shall perish. The uh, verses for that first clause are Job eight thirteen and 14, where we read, So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the godless will perish, whose confidence is fragile, and whose trust a spider's web. So it's, it's you know, their, their trust is in the wrong thing, and it will perish. And then, of course, Matthew 7, 22 to 23, which I just mentioned, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just, you know, sobering, sobering to think of that. The 1689 continues with, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So it is possible to know, to have assurance of your salvation. It comes from a, a spirit of obedience, a spirit of the love of the Lord. And and it, it comes from inside. So it's not a... Um, it, it's not a huge um, question for the true believer because the true believer is walking with the Lord. And in walking with the Lord, 
you know, the spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. Um, and, and Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, it's a, it's a, the, the spirit of obedience that is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer moving us to desire to obey God. That's where our assurance comes from. This is why I say, when when you see somebody, if you'd have looked at me at age 20, you would have rightly questioned my salvation because of the way I was living. And so we think about that. You know, it's it's there's evidence of salvation in the life of a believer. This is why, you know, new believers should never become teachers. A, they're ignorant. They haven't spent the time in the Word and studying to understand the Scriptures. But two... They have no proven track record. When you look at, I, I honestly, think about the title elder. You know, the, the, the church is to be led by the elders, the elders of the church. The, the root of elder is old. Now, we're not talking about old, decrepit people, you know, but someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while and has a proven track record, who has the wisdom of life experience, you know. I, I, I honestly don't think a church should have an elder who's under 30, 35 years old. That's why the, the United States Constitution has age limits for certain offices. You have to be 35 or older to be president of the United States because you have to have lived life. Uh, I think, you know, and, and other offices have other age ranges, and I'm not sure what they are without going and looking, but you have to have life experience in order to govern well. You have to have, you know, you have to have lived life. You have to understand things from an experiential point of view. Not and and so that's the same thing in in church leadership. Um, that you know the the word elder I think is is not a misnomer, which is why I always laugh at the seventeen year old elders and the uh, Mormons Mormon missionaries. If you're seventeen, you're not an elder anything. I'm sorry. So the true believer. Who, who truly believes and loves Jesus in sincerity, and then endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, that's the desire to be obedient, that person can be assured. You can know you have a solid relationship with Jesus because you're not floundering in sin. You're not plagued by doubt. You can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Very important. Very important. But that, you know, that desire to be obedient. It, it says, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him. It, it, that's what you're striving for. You're failing. <laughs> you know, every day you're failing because we are fallen human beings. I've used the analogy of a batting average before many times. You know, if you have, if you're a, a major league ball player and you have a 300 batting average, lifetime batting average, you are one of the best hitters the game's ever seen. You're almost assured of being in the Hall of Fame. Yet, seven out of ten times at bat, you didn't get a hit. But in order to get that 300 batting average, you have to be 100% committed to the game. And so the Christian life is the same way. You know, you're going to strike out a lot more than you get a hit. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you know, find yourself in your thoughts, if not in your deeds, entertaining sin. And when that happens, when you recognize it, you need to repent 
and you need to throw yourself upon the mercy of the Lord and ask him to forgive you and to strengthen you against that temptation in the future. And then you're going to fail again because you're a fallible human. But the key is you are endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him. You are committed to being an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, even when you fail to obey him. You're, you're still, you know, you're, you're, you're saddened by the fact that you can't do it perfectly. That's the sort of person who can have assurance of salvation. Because, you know, that, that desire to obey Jesus doesn't come from you. <laughs> that comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you have a true desire to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus. There, there's no doubt in my mind. And it's not a legalism. It's not a legalistic, I have to do this in order to prove I'm a Christian. I have to do this in order to receive the Lord's favor. None of that. It's not, you know, that's not the case. The case is that you have to, you know, you have that desire. And it's not a legalistic keeping a list of rules as much as it is a desire to be obedient and please the Lord who bought you. And if you have that, you can be assured that you're saved and you can rejoice. Now, all of these verses that they give us here are from 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So what does John say is the evidence of salvation? Obedience. Then in 1 John 3, verse 14, we read, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. Remember, Jesus gave the commandment to love one another. If we are obedient to that commandment, that's a good sign. That's how we know, you know that we passed from death into life that we have been saved. We have a love for the brethren. Continuing, 1 John 3, verses 18 and 19. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. So this is, again, being obedient, not just in word or, you know, in how we speak, but being obedient in how we act and the things we do. First John verse twenty, chapter three, verse twenty-one. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, remember, this is in the context of being obedient and loving the brothers and all of that. And he says, you know, if you're doing that and your heart is for the Lord, you can have confidence before God. Because you know that you are striving to be obedient. And, and even more important, you know you have a will to be obedient. You have a desire to be obedient. And that is where assurance comes from. So it is, it, note this, at no point is he saying, remember the prayer you prayed. Remember the time you walked down the aisle and talked to the pastor up front. You know, remember the time you sat with your Sunday school teacher or your Bible, Bible camp counselor and prayed. No, it's always, do you keep your, do you keep his commandments? Do you strive to obey him? And then, uh, first John three twenty four, and the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he gave us. So here you have the, the 
testimony of the indwelling Holy Spirit that you are indeed belonging to Christ. And that can give you, that gives you insurance, assurance. And then First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It is possible to know. So, so here we have the, the two spectrums here have been demolished. We don't have this easy believism where you say, well, you know, you, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, you, you signed a pledge card, whatever. So you know you're in and it doesn't matter how you live. You know, it's kind of fire assurance Christianity. You've, you've punched your card. So you're not going to hell and now nothing else matters. That's not assurance of salvation. And then on the other end, you know, this idea that you can't know, that's not scriptural either. So it is the spirit of obedience. It is the, the striving to be obedient to God. And, and that obedience is part and parcel with belief. Because belief in Jesus Christ for the true believer, saving faith, is not mere intellectual assent to a fact. There are unsaved people, hear me, there are unsaved people who believe that Jesus Christ lived, that he died on the cross, that he rose the third day, that he's the son of God. They believe these facts about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus because they have not trusted him for their salvation. And so so when we say believe here, the, the faith that John is talking about is a faith that affects what you do because what you truly believe will affect what you do. And if it doesn't affect what you do, we have to question, do you really believe it? And you have to question if you really believe it because if you believe it, it'll affect what you do. So these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. It's not a guess. It's not a, a vague Oh, gosh, I hope I'm saved. You can know. You can know. First John is a great book for that. That's a good book to go through to, to deal with, am I saved? And so the hope, the true hope of the true believer shall never make them ashamed. Romans 5, 2 and 5. Romans 5, 2 says, Through whom, talking about Jesus, also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then verse 5 of that same chapter, And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So think about this. Um, we, we generally use the word hope to mean wishful thinking. I mean, you've, I've been wearing Grizz gear all year on the podcast, or all week. We've got the, the Grizz Cat game is coming up on Saturday. The Grizz are ranked number three nationally. The Bobcats are ranked number four. It's going to be a tough game. I hope the Grizzlies win. That's a wishful thinking. I know it's going to be a tough game. <laughs> it's going to be a really tough game. we got two really good teams playing. Um, so it's not going to be a blowout. <laughs> it's going to be a tough game. I hope the Grizzlies win. That is not an assured hope. <laughs> the hope that we have in Christ is an assured hope. It is an anticipation that we will receive a sure thing. There is nothing going to happen 
If, if, if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there is nothing that can happen that will separate you from the love of God in Christ. Romans chapter 8, go back and read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the sins that I've committed have been paid for. And, and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So there is that assured hope, which is far more than wishful thinking. And that is something to really, really, really you know, rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that's paragraph one of this chapter of the 1689. Next week, we'll look at paragraph two. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that, having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for guidance. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Thursday. I hope you have a great day. The week is, weekend is almost upon us, uh, the, the college football weekend, as I'm looking forward to the Grizz-Cat game on Saturday. And then uh, Sunday, I'm preaching in Ovando at Blackfoot Community Bible Church. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Although Frenchtown Community Church is having their Thanksgiving potluck Sunday, and we're going to miss it. We missed it last year, too, because <laughs> I was off preaching somewhere else. Um and, and I hate that. I wish I was there for that Thanksgiving potluck. But be that as it may, I'm looking forward to being with the Saints in Ovando. Um, I look forward to my time with them as well. If you're in the Ovando area, 
We'd love to have you join us on Sunday. Services start at 10 a.m. Mountain. And uh, as I said, I'm starting the book of Ephesians. So I'm looking forward to that. Have a great Thursday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Scroll Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. 